As you guys come back to your seats, can you just uh, have a seat and join us as we uh, worship Jesus this morning? Feel free to sing along with us. Put your hands together. Clap for these kids. They've worked really hard. So uh, sing along. Here we go. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Oh, 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 yeah, in excelsis Deo. Why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be, which inspire this endless song? Oh, 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 we are in excelsis Deo. Oh, 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 we are in excelsis Deo. Him whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Oh, 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 we are in excelsis Deo. Oh, 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 we are in excelsis Deo. Oh, 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 oh. varsity director and I'm joined this morning with our first through fifth grade kids worship kids team and their coaches Kelly Williamson and Lynn Kiefer and we are so excited to be here this morning Um, in all stars our vision for the kids is for them to discover a life-changing journey with Jesus by living out the three C's and one of those C's is contributing and that's what all of these kids are a great example of this morning. They not only are contributing this morning with all of you leading you in worship, but each week they also help lead their peers in large group time. So as you catch on to the next song, please join them as they worship.
Well, getting ready for Christmas is a big job, isn't it? We all have a lot to do. We have gifts to buy, decorating to do, baking, lots of eating of the baking, lots of parties to go to, things to do. Preparing for Christmas is a monumental task. It can be an all-consuming fire. It can kind of distract us from the true meaning of the season and enjoying the season and in delighting in the season and taking it all in. Just yesterday morning, my wife and I were sitting there having a cup of coffee and making our list for all the things we had to do to prepare for Christmas. And she said, are you getting anxious? I'm getting anxious. I said, yeah, let's have another cup of coffee and see if that goes away. (laughs) And uh, so later in the afternoon, I pulled out the outdoor lights and went out there and put my gloves and hat on and was putting all the lights up. And I was in a bit of a dilemma because uh, the last couple of years of living at this house, I knew that the front door frame needed to be painted badly, but I didn't do it. I didn't follow up on it. So I didn't mind taking the staple gun and stapling the lights right to the frame. But this past fall, I sanded all that down. I primed it. I filled it. I painted it pristine white. And so I didn't want to mess that up with the staple gun. And so I took a long time to systematically you know, measure out where the different screws should be and paint them white and make sure they blended in and all this kind of thing. And I put the lights up and Debbie was away doing a bunch of shopping and buying some stuff for a party that we're hosting next Friday night. And so by the time she came back, it was dark, and I thought for sure that she would notice all of the great things I did to decorate the outside of the house. But being as humble as I am, I didn't want to bring that up. And so she came in, and we talked for about a half an hour. I helped her unload the groceries, and finally she didn't say anything. And I said, well, did you see all my handiwork outside? She said, no, did you get it done? So I forced her out the front door. (laughs) Get out there and like what I did. All of getting ready for Christmas, right? All these things, all this activity, all this preparation for Christmas. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about how to prepare ourselves for this Christmas season and enjoy it. How to, to take delight in the Christmas season. So we're looking at four different Gospels, and in each one of the Gospels, the prelude to each Gospel, there is basically a different perspective. Uh, Anybody who is married knows this. If you are involved in an event with your spouse, you have two different perspectives on that event, right? Amen? You come through that event, and then you start to debrief about the event, and they say, well, this happened. And they said, no, that didn't happen. And then she says, this happened. And they said, well, he said this. And you say, well, then this happened. And you're like, did we actually go through the same event together? Yes, you did. You just had two different perspectives on the event. So in the, in the, uh, the, in the case of the gospel, there are four different, we have four different perspectives. And the perspective that we're going to look at today is about preparing yourself, preparing the pathway, the pathway of Christmas And it's from the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, he has a bit of a different perspective than the others because he was not one of the original disciples of Jesus Christ. Mark was a follower of Jesus Christ, but he was actually the nephew of Barnabas. He traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he was a very close friend of Peter. And his mother was the Mary who hosted the first church in her home, but he wasn't one of the original disciples of Jesus Christ. And so his perspective is a bit different after hearing from all of these other people in his perspective of growing up and seeing Jesus as a smaller boy. He has a different perspective. 
And his perspective goes the whole way back to the Old Testament prophets. As a matter of fact, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus in his gospel. He starts back with the prophets when he wrote these words. Listen to them as I read them to you. He wrote it this way. Here begins the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, God said, Look, I'm sending my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord coming. Make a straight road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. People from Jerusalem and all over Judea traveled out into the wilderness to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from camel hair and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. He announced someone is coming soon who is far greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The writer Mark is making a connection between the Old Testament prophets and this new prophet who had come on the scene, who was John the Baptist. And he's saying John the Baptist is the fulfillment of part of the prophecy of the Old Testament that someone who is laying the pathway for the Messiah to come would come before him. And uh, he, he even looks, in a sense, like a prophet. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later on in detail, but um, John the Baptist had taken something called the Nazarite vow. And in the Nazarite vow, that's one of the reasons why John the Baptist looks so odd to us as we look at the description. He wore camel's hair, uh, skin for clothing. He didn't shave his head or his beard. I mean, uh, the Duck Dynasty guys had nothing on John the Baptist at all. And... Uh, he lived somewhat in the wilderness, which was, which was uh, very common for a prophet to, for a certain period of time, be what was called Essenic, or to move out into the desert area and then come back. And they moved out into the Essenic area so they could be close to God. And in a few minutes, we'll talk about the, the depth of this Nazarite vow. But because he had taken this vow, and because God had called him to take this vow, he was a prophet of God that was proclaiming and establishing the voice of God and the pathway for Christ to come into this world. And that was his calling. So from Mark's perspective and looking at John the Baptist and him calling out the voice from the wilderness and then calling to make a straight pathway, there's at least two things that we can learn about how we can get ourselves ready, how we can prepare, even starting today for this holiday season, to delight in it, to enjoy it, not to get lost in all the preparations or the lights or all the different activities of the season, but to take some time to listen to the voice of God and create a pathway with inside of ourselves where God can come and set up residence in our soul during this holiday season. So his perspective can help us, and you can t- pull, pull out your notes and start to take some notes here. How do we prepare this pathway for the king? We, number one, we listen for his voice. We listen for his voice. I love the imagery in this verse, a voice shouting in the wilderness, a voice shouting in the wilderness. Now, who's going to hear a voice shouting in the wilderness? This sounds like a high school science class or a high school philosophy class where we say, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to see the tree fall in the woods, did it actually make a noise? You know, who's going to hear this guy shouting 
in the wilderness. But actually the text here means he's coming out of the wilderness. He's had this time in the wilderness. He's emerging from the wilderness and he's shouting out to people who are in a wilderness. Even though they look like they're operating within society, even though we can look like we're operating, we're highly active and we've got a lot going on and a lot of Christmas activities, we can be walking in a wilderness this holiday season. We can just be going through the motions, the the activity, the tyranny of the urgent, going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, preparing for Christmas but missing the essence of Christmas and the delight of Christmas the whole time. And so we need to hear the voice of one calling to us. Don't get lost in the wilderness of this world. Come out. Come out and meet the king. I love this. In my mind's eye, I envision this literal wilderness, this wood tangled around and underbrush going on, a place where you could easily get lost and isolated and lonely, a place where you need a voice to call out and help you find your way back home and to get some clear direction. God's sending this messenger to us, a voice to call us. What I envision in this passage is that we've been wandering through life and that God is calling us, even especially during this holiday season, to focus in, to hear his voice, to stop crashing through the underbrush, as it were, to stop some of our activity and focus in and listen. Now, let's face it, not many of us are good listeners, are we? I mean, the person next to you will probably tell you, if they're honest with you, you're not a good listener. And you could probably say back to them, and you're not a good listener either, right? Because most of us listen not to understand. We listen in order to get our opportunity to what? Reply. And most of us are that way with God. We don't Listen, stop and listen to understand the word of God and take it in. We just listen long enough to reply or have an opinion about the word of God. Uh, I've, I've often said that Bible studies often degrade into opinion studies. You ever been to an opinion study where we read the word of God, everyone shares their opinion, it ends up meaning nothing, and we leave. We have some coffee and donuts and we leave there, okay? That's not a Bible study. A Bible study is when we stop and we listen and we say, what is God saying to us through the text of Scripture, the ancient text coming down to us through the power of the Holy Spirit today? What's he saying to us? To ready ourselves to delight in the coming of the King at Christmas time, to listen. But we have a hard time listening. I have a hard time listening. And the holiday season doesn't seem to be a time where we choke it back. It seems to be a time when we ramp it up. We walk through the underbrush and all of the noise and the activity around us as we're wandering through the wilderness even makes more and more noise. And so we can't hear the voice of one calling out to us. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten lost in the woods? How many of you have ever gotten lost in the woods as a child or even as an adult? Yeah, it can be kind of a, a harrowing experience, can it? I remember getting lost in the woods down by my grandfather's farm when I was a young boy. We used to go there on Sunday afternoons and and after Sunday morning worship, we would go down there, we'd have lunch, and then go down to the farm. And uh, go down to the farm and play for a couple of hours, and then we'd come back in the evening, get washed up, and go to evening services. And uh, one of the things that we did there was often to go on a hike because it was a couple hundred acre farm. There was a stream that went up through it. There was an orchard there. And it didn't take me long to get off the beaten path. My brothers and sisters and I would go, and I was the youngest, and I think they kind of liked that, that I'd get off the beaten path pretty quick and early. You know, we'll, we'll take him on an explore, and then we'll lose him. 
I kind of liked getting lost, to be honest with you. It didn't take much. I'd get off the beaten path and maybe climb up one of the trees and grab an apple, and then I usually started to follow the stream up. But I remember this particular day, for some reason, something caught my eye. I don't know if it was a deer or a raccoon or what kind of animal it was. And I started to kind of follow off where it was, and I got off the way, the way from the stream because the stream always led me back down to the pasture where the barn was and the farmhouse was. And I could find my way back, but I got lost that day. And evening started to come on, and the shadows started to get long. And as I was kind of trudging through, I went this direction, and I went that direction. Then I tried to climb up a tree because I couldn't see the whole way back down to the meadow and where the farmhouse was. And I was really getting lost. I was getting kind of nervous. And I did something that was counterintuitive after a while. I sat down on a tree stump because I realized as I was trudging along, I couldn't, if someone else was calling to me, I wouldn't be able to hear them. And so it was a bit counterintuitive, but I thought if I stop walking and somebody's looking for me, I might be able to hear them if I get quiet. And I sat on that tree stump for a while and I wanted to get back up, start making my own way. I thought, no, no better stop and be quiet. It wasn't too long before I heard something in the distance. And then it came closer. Then it came closer. And finally I could hear my sister, who was closest in the age to me, Lynn, calling out my name. Joel! Joel! And when she got close enough, I could run toward her voice. And I could find her and she could find me. And we could find our way back to where we needed to be and out of the wilderness. Now, she did tell me when she found me, you missed all the whoopie pies. You've been gone so long, we ate yours too. Oh, well. I knew that if I pried grandpa, I could at least get some ice cream out of the deep freeze from him when I got back. But we got back. But I tell you that story to say this. Often we think in our activity, we keep... If I stay in this activity, I'll hear God. If I do this, I'll hear God. If I go over here, I'll hear God. And it's counterintuitive for us during a highly active time to stop, to sit on a tree stump, as it were, and delight in hearing the voice of the Lord. I've been reading a, this book about reflection and in the book, she gives you an exercise at the end of each one of the chapters. It's just, I, I like it because it's just a short book. She's trying to get you to, to take like three to five minutes for silence and solitude. She's not trying to get you to take five hours. At the end of reading this book, you're going to take five hours every day being quiet, solitude, like a monk. And I'm like, you know, that's not going to work for me. Those kind of books don't work. But this one's nice because I can do, they're doable exercises, and it increases my ability to be able to stop and quiet myself and hear the voice of God. And I just want to do one of the exercises with you. It's very simple. I'm just going to read a passage of Scripture to you, and I want you to stop and just close your eyes and reflect on any one of the words that come to you from this passage of Scripture. And just take a a moment to be quiet and still and soak it in, okay? So I'm going to read it to you. It's from Psalm 46. A couple selected verses from there. Listen to the Word of God. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, he says, be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Just stop and reflect. So God still speaks to us. During this season, he says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am ever-present help to you in times of trouble. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, give us many more still moments. Teach us how to still and quiet ourselves before you. So that there is a connection between the quietness and the activity in our life, and that connection is you. And that we hear your voice in both the activity and the action and in the quiet and in the rest. For you are always with us. You know, for me, it's a discipline to enter into quiet moments like that. I'm a verbal person. I'm what's called an external processor when it comes to thoughts and feelings. I have to talk them out to get them out. Anybody on our staff will say, oh no, he's going to bring out the flip chart again. We're in a meeting, I can't just sit there and look at pieces of, oh, let's get up the, and they're like, why is he doing that? It's, so I can stay involved, so I can process. I, got, I have to move my body. I have to move my tongue. I have to stop and listen. It's hard for me to get quiet. Some of you are naturally more quiet and still, and uh, I covet that in you. I do. That's something I have to learn, and am learning as a discipline. Some of us have to learn to speak up, and some of us have to learn to quiet down. But whoever you are and however you operate this season, whether that's natural for you or not, I implore you, take time to delight in the Lord this holiday season. Don't make this holiday season into more rushing and motion. There'll be plenty of that. Find some time to delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Find some time to do that. The second point that I want to talk about this morning about preparing the pathway for the king is not only to open up our ears to hear his voice, but to clear a path to 
to our heart for him, to clear a pathway that leads into the depths of our being, into our heart, into our soul. When John the Baptist came calling out from the wilderness, he said, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. Now, clearing a pathway back in those days was vitally important. And uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, a cultural background on that. When a king went to visit some place, it was the practice in the Near East to send a messenger in advance so the king and his royal party that were coming with him, would, the people could be ready. Make sure the roads were clear, the underbrush was cut back. Make sure that it was safe and secure for his passage. And uh, it wasn't uh, common in those days that the roads became impassable, so they had to be kept up with, okay? They didn't have PennDOT out there taking care of them, like you guys will tonight, hopefully, all right? They needed to remove obstacles so they could get through without trouble and hardship, They also did this. They made sure there was a receiving party that was waiting for the king. And so when John the Baptist is talking about this, make a straight pathway for him, they knew what that meant. They knew that that meant clear out things, the underbrush, get things settled, get things cleared away. And they also knew we need to get ready to be the welcoming party for the king. And so John the Baptist says, I'm not the king. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the promised one. I'm another one of his prophets pointing toward the coming of the king. So prepare your hearts and your minds. Repent. John was teaching his baptism of repentance and get ready for the coming of the king. When Mark quotes these prophets, he's emphasizing being ready and readying yourself for a king. He's saying, get ready. A king is coming. And he's saying, you get ready by leading a lifestyle of repentance. That was the word, that was the message of John the Baptist. Repent, turn, come back to God. Turn from your way of living to God's way of living. In the dictionary, it says that repentance is, is when we feel such uh, uh, sorrow and fault for our own sin that we're disposed to change our life for the better. But the Bible doesn't uh, give that definition of repentance. It says when we recognize our brokenness and need for God, we turn toward him and let him change our pathway and our life and let his power come into our life. Maybe that's something you need to do this holiday season is to turn from all your activity and action and your pathway and turn back to God. Maybe you need to thin some things out on the pathway and make it straight and make it clear. I remember a few years ago, we were in Ecuador, one of our partners that you just saw on the screen there, And I was part of one of of the people who that day, our job was to take machetes and clear out a pathway to go into the place where they were starting to build the school that you saw there. And uh, down down there, you're just in the very beginnings of the basin of the Amazon, and stuff grows fast. I couldn't believe it that a month later, when I got some pictures from Mark, how much had grown back up. And I was like, oh, no, we should have had a flamethrower or something to keep all that stuff down. That's the way the activity and action of our life is, right? We can go through the activity and action of our life and we can get things calmed down. There's a good rhythm between rest and work and reflection and doing. And then all of a sudden, boom, it swells up again, the activity and the action. And although we think we're in the middle of activity and we're in the middle of a wilderness, 
because our soul is not being fed and we're not taking a drink of living water. We're not hearing the voice of God. We're not taking him in into our soul. You know, I'm grateful that uh, you guys provided for me this past summer a time of sabbatical. Uh, Four months where I could be off and learn some new rhythms. And I took some time to read some books and to learn some new rhythms of rest. And for probably about the last two years, I've been really working on uh, entering into God's rest, as it says in Hebrews. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God to make every effort to enter into his rest. And I've really been attempting to do that and change some things in my life because I'm an active person. I feel worthwhile when I'm doing and acting and and, and creating and uh, interacting and, uh, and, and actually doing something, okay? And I have a hard time feeling worthwhile when I'm just sitting and quiet and I'm not producing. But Sabbath rest is all about not getting everything done so you can rest. It's about it's time for rest. So you put everything else because everything won't ever all be done this side of heaven, okay? And so I've been learning these things, but as I came back into this fall in the activity of ministry and and things were mounting, I started to feel like, oh, okay, this is okay, I can, I can keep a pretty good cadence here, I can, I can do that. And then some other opportunities came up to take some training, and I was finishing a course at the seminary, and getting ready to take another course in January the 5th at seminary, and I have to read six books for that, and I have to write a couple papers for that, and then I have to go for 10 days of an intensive course in New York, and then I got invited to be part of this emotionally healthy spirituality training, so went up for a day in Queens, and and, and started that, and then the next one's next installment is in January for that. And I realized all these things I'm studying about, I'm not doing now again. I'm studying and reading books on Sabbath rest, but I'm not resting. I'm working. <laughs> I'm, I'm working at resting, <laughs> which is a good thing. However, I was just overworking it again, and I started to look, and my wife and I were on vacation for about the last 10 days until uh, uh, Wednesday. We got back on Wednesday. And we're on this vacation. I'm reading this book on Sabbath rest. I'm feeling like, oh man, all this stuff's coming up in January. There's no way I can do all this stuff. I don't even, they sent us the reading list for class. They never told us which books to read beforehand. I don't know which ones to read to write the papers. I don't know what, these, you know, what to write about. I got to get this stuff done by January 5th, but I don't even know what it is. I got this other training coming up. I've got other responsibilities in the church. I've got uh, our district superintendent, he's leaving office. I'm something called the, the vice president of the district executive committee for our denomination, so I have to put together a fair... And I've got all you know, the stir of things, and the whole time I'm trying to sell myself, be still and know what he's got, be still and know what he's got, as I'm running to do all these things. And so I'm reading in this book, I said, Lord, you need to show me something as I'm reading my devotions, as I'm on vacation, and I'm trying to just choke it back, and I'm trying to just sit down. I'm trying to relax. And I came upon this little reading almost at the end of the book about the second to last day of our vacation. It says this, I've been noticing what has to be simplified in my life is the abundance of my life, all of the opportunities that lie before me. The metaphor for this is in my garden. We have an abundance of growing vegetables. We planted turnips, carrots, radishes, lettuce, herbs, tomatoes, eggplant, and they started growing riotously. I couldn't believe, I like that word, riotously, isn't it good? I couldn't believe how you could plant seeds and then all this stuff just came up and abandoned. I knew I needed to thin out the turnips and carrots, that's what it said in the back of the package, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I thought, maybe they'll just grow anyway. So I never did thin or prune those turnips or those carrots, and they never did grow. 
Not one turnip did I get, although there were tons of greens. So I've been reflecting on why I don't want to thin the things in my life that I need to. I just keep holding on for dear life, but those turnips are telling me what will happen if I don't create the space for growth, the space for life, the space for the Spirit to move. And God spoke to me. So I came back from vacation. I did something counterintuitive. I had set up a day for a whole day or retreat when I came back, and I thought, "Ah, I can't do that. I've got too much going on. I'm going to have to cancel the retreat. But I did something counterintuitive. I said, no, I'm going to keep the retreat. I'm going to go there. And my project for that day, and I wrote it down on the top of my ledger sheet that I have that I carry around with me. I wrote it down on my notepad was, I'm going to figure out what needs to be thinned out. That's my job. I'm going to go on retreat and do a job. Figure out how to thin this out. So I sat down, and the person leading us in the retreat, and some of you students know this person, Eldon Fry. He's the chaplain. Uh, student, the, the campus pastor at Messiah College. He's leading us on this retreat, and I've known Eldon for years. All Eldon has to do is like read a scripture or something, and I go, I just relax. I don't know. He's just got something that helps me relax. So I'm sitting there. Eldon reads the scripture, and we start to look at him. Let's take about an hour for reflection now on that. So notepad out, starting to reflect, and I feel that God's saying something to me, and I feel this impression from God. He's saying, Joel, first address the why before you address the what. Address why you can't thin things out before you address what you are going to thin out. Because there's something deeper at stake here. So I started to reflect on that and ask God, why, why can't I do that? And God showed me that I'm, I have fear. I have the fear of missing out on opportunities. If there's an opportunity before me, I feel like I've got to take a hold of it. It may never come my way again. What if I squander that opportunity? So I have fear. Part of it is I like to be in control. And when I'm moving and I'm active, I feel like I'm in control, even if things aren't in control. I can live in all that activity. Another thing is I like to please other people. I don't like to say no to them. I don't like to feel like I'm letting somebody down or the team down. So I rarely say no when someone asks me to do something to help out in an organization. And I also like being noticed. I like being noticed. It's hard to say that, but it's true. I like being noticed, so I have a hard time thinning things out. Because if I thin things out, I won't be involved. And if not involved, I won't be noticed. You probably picked that up from the uh, little confession I made about the Christmas lights. I like to be noticed. So God told me this. Not thinning is about fear, but thinning is about freedom. Not thinning is about control. Thinning is about release. Not thinning is about pleasing others. Thinning is about embracing my limits. Not thinning is about being noticed. Thinning is about enjoying joy anonymously, where I'm only known by God, and I know him. See, God didn't want this just to be an activity of reducing my schedule but to be an activity of repentance for trying to do it all and be it all and play God. For one of our greatest things that we can repent from is acting like we're omnipresent and that we're omniscient and that we need to experience it all and playing God in our life. No, be still and know 
that I am God. And you can take a break. And the world will go on just fine without you. And that's good news. That's good news. Delight yourself in God this holiday season. Find the time. Carve out the time to listen to his voice. Set a beeper on your watch or your cell phone for a minute or two and just stop and read a scripture and take it in. And listen to the voice of the Lord. We need to repent of our need to be God. John the Baptist was a great example for us. There was another time where John was approached by his followers because Jesus was, had this big following starting to follow him and people that had followed John were now following Jesus, which was the plan. <laughs> but the people didn't know that. His followers didn't know that. And so they came to John and they said this, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. And to this John replied, a person can only receive what is given him from heaven. In other words, I just do what I'm told to do. I embrace my limits from heaven. And he says this, you yourselves can testify, I am not the Messiah. I was just sent ahead of him to make a way and to make a pathway for him. John embraced his limits, confessing there is a God and I'm not him. And that's good news. But I am created by the hand of God and I'm created in the image of God. And I'm created to hear the voice of God and I'm created to build a pathway for God to come up and set up his residence within my very soul. It's an interesting fact that John the Baptist was clearing this pathway and inviting and intriguing that John had taken this Nazarite vow. He had done some thinning in his life. When you took a Nazarite vow, you did some thinning. Life got pretty simple, okay? You only wore one set of clothes. You didn't do things like they, they would for that time say, I'm not drinking any wine. They wouldn't cut their hair or their beard. So they didn't have to take time for all that grooming. Wouldn't that be great, guys? I think that's why everybody likes this Duck Dynasty thing. Why guys like that? They don't have to groom themselves. <laughs> he wouldn't make any contact with a dead animal or a dead person, which sounds kind of weird to us. I mean, who's going to do that? But in those days, if one of your family members died or something, you carried them out. You took care of them. You didn't call an ambulance or a hearse or something like that. You took care of those things. You buried them. If one of the animals that, that you had died, you took care of that. And they wouldn't eat certain foods. So he's abstaining from certain foods, so then he's eating other foods that would give him protein. Wild honey and locusts. So he's looking pretty wild. And we can kind of get lost in this whole idea of this Nazarite vow, that it was all about looking different on the outside. But the word Nazarite gives us a great clue as to what it really meant. Nazarite meant to be consecrated to the Lord and for the Lord. Nazarite meant to be consecrated to the Lord. That was a word that meant peeling in intimacy with God. That you were willing to thin things out in this world to enter into the inner world with God. You were set apart to God, and then you were set apart like John for God, 
so that the work that God was doing on the inside would spill out on the outside, calling more people to hear the voice of the Messiah, calling more people to set up a pathway to the interior of themselves so God could set up residence with them too. John the Baptist is a great example of a man who was called to do a monumental task for God, but embraced his limits, set up a way to listen to God's voice, and became a messenger that laid a pathway for God to not only visit him, but to visit this earth, and to this day, to visit us. So I ask you, and I ask myself this holiday season, will I take time to delight in the Lord? Delight is one of the four components of Sabbath rest, to delight. The four components are stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And I urge you today, and I encourage you today, take time to delight in the Lord, to listen to his voice in the quiet, still moments. Take time to then set up a pathway where he can come and set up residence within you. So in this holiday season, you say, I've made a pathway for the king. I am the pathway of the king. He works in me and through me. And I delight in him as I enjoy this holiday and Christmas season. I want us just to bow our our heads for a moment and turn our eyes closed. And in this time of prayer, perhaps you want to just lift yourself up to God. Make a pathway for him. Perhaps you've been a Christian for quite some time, but this morning you realize, oh man, I've been on that treadmill after the Christmas season and I need to choke it back. I need to listen and I need to set up a pathway so that God's residency in me is full and clear and delightful. For the Lord wants us to delight in the King this holiday season. To delight in His gift to us. The gift of His presence. Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe that's you, and if that's you, lift up a prayer. Prayer of repentance. Prayer of consecration. Prayer that says, I'll thin things out to peel in to you so you can get up and meet with me. Perhaps you're here this morning and for some time maybe you've been coming and checking out the claims of Christ and this morning God spoke to you. You heard his voice. The stillness of those moments earlier in the service or early this morning before you came. And God has been calling to you in the wilderness of your life. The activity and the action has been overwhelming. And you need to say a prayer of repentance. Turn from your way of living to his. Just lift that prayer up. Say, Jesus, come be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. I hear your voice and I'm responding right now. Lord, you indeed are a delight. A God 
who didn't stand at a distance and yell his love down to us, but crafted himself into the five little fingers of God, became a human being, set up his tent, his tabernacle with us. You are a delight. You are a delight in that you send your Holy Spirit so that we can hear your voice, know your presence, and walk with you in the quiet moments, in the active moments, and to have a bridge between the two. Thank you, God. Help each of us and all of us to enter into your life-giving presence of the King this holiday season and enjoy you all together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to take just a couple of moments as you listen to the music play. Pull out your response card. And just take a couple moments maybe to write down a response that you have. Something God said to you or something that you want to commit to do this holiday season to make a pathway for the king for yourself. Do that in these next few moments as the music plays.